in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm your host, Gabe S. Dunn. If you're a longtime listener, you know that we've been doing a lot of episodes about financial abuse and also about my own personal situation unrelated to the financial abuse, let's say. And yeah, and so you might also recognize our guest who was on an episode of my other show, Just Between Us and has been a wonderful and fantastic resource. And so I wanted to have her back on Bad With Money because as she mentioned before we started recording, we did an episode with Kim Schooler all about financial abuse. And so consider this kind of a a part two slash continuation of that that story. And if this is a little bit hard for you, 
hey man, opt out. You don't have to listen to it. So anyway, yes, Haley, can you tell our audience who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I am an intimate partner violence survivor advocate and I'm a feminist researcher. So I'm pivoting a little bit from doing full-time advocacy with people, but my research and kind of my activism looks at spreading knowledge about how common sexual violence is and intimate partner is a form of that and allowing people the resources they need to recognize that what they're experiencing might be abuse or to help their loved ones or community members in leaving abuse safely and then hopefully eventually prevent it from occurring or at least occurring as a societal epidemic rather than just a one-off occurrence. Yeah, I think one of the your strengths, at least in our emails together, have been have has been being very validating of experiences. And so I wanted to ask, like, if someone's listening and and they're like, well, abuse, I don't know, that's a big word. Like, how do you how do you quantify that? Yeah. So I'm going to answer your question with an anecdote and then I'll elaborate. Very few of the survivors I've worked with and around my 10 years of advocacy experience have not had that feeling of like, well, abuse is a big word or rape is a big word or I don't know about that. But they're also the people I was working with were people who called the nonprofit I was working at or followed me on Instagram after listening to the JBU podcast and saw that I had domestic violence in my title or domestic violence on my bio for my Instagram. And we're like, you know, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable using domestic violence or abuse. However, something inside me got me across from you at your desk. Something got me to call the rape crisis hotline. Something got me to call the domestic violence hotline. And so it's usually as I understand if someone's not okay using that word and a good advocate will never pressure someone to use a word they're not comfortable with. Like, well, you have to call it this. It's like, that's, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But it's how to quantify it is when you are in a relationship where your autonomy and differentiation from your partner is viewed by your partner as a threat to them. That's where in the territory of abuse, because it goes back to coercive control. And if you want a deep dive on coercive control, listen to the JBU podcast, but because <laughs> we're going to talk about financial abuse, like specifically today, but that's a form why it's bad and why it's impactful and impacts survivors for the rest of their lives is because it's coercive control. I was going to say, yeah, that there is an element of you never hear it talked about as differentiation or that doing things for yourself or doing things on your own is perceived as a slight against the other person. So you kind of never hear about that. And, you know, we talked with Kim about stuff that I think was very, she's a lawyer. So I think was very focused on the finance of it all, which we will get into with you. But I do think like there is a very subtle aspect of coercive control that I think is hard for people to parse out. And I tried to get into that a bit with Kim saying like, you know, there's the obvious stuff, right? I have your credit cards. You don't get to have the money. I hold your paycheck. Very, very obvious. You know, not to say that people don't realize things, but yeah, it's the stuff that would show up on a billboard. Right, right. So like, yeah. what is what is the stuff that you find in your experience that people are missing. And it's also, I think, fine for us to hear go into a little bit of what coercive control is. Yeah, of course. So 
One very brief coercive control, it's when one person in an intimate relationship is seeking to take power and control over the other person. And there's all these different ways to do that, but it's a system of incrementally isolating someone, making someone question their reality so they're easier to control. They're more likely to question themselves. They're not going to ask for help. They're going to think that they're the one who's doing something wrong. And that's why it's so insidious, because it's that slow process. So those examples of coercive control that are financial abuse, so where an abuser is using financial abuse to enact coercive control, definitely are the things that Kim talked about, like the, well, I love you and I need to take all the resources so you don't have to worry about it, honey. Or what you talked about of like, you're an idiot. I need to do all this. And you're like, well, okay. But it's also weaponizing historical oppression. So I, I'm queer and I work with queer people all the time. And when you have particularly trans people who like they came out as trans and then their parents were like, good luck to you, go off to pasture, then that person is going to be more at risk for financial abuse because they don't have a financial resource to fall back on. And oftentimes queer people are friends with other queer people. So you have a bunch of people who are super loving and wonderful, but there's no financial resources to share. So if you're in a community where there's communal poverty, so like a neighborhood where there's like a lot of intergenerational poverty, then an abuser is going to be able to enter or create a relationship with someone who has a lot of a lack of financial resources and kind of notes like this person's going to have to stay in a relationship longer because they have a job where it would take literally forever to save up a first month deposit and a security deposit or like the plane ticket to get on the plane, like to escape. That's something very haunting to deal with. But if you have more money, that's doable. Versus if you don't have money, then you might have to connect with a nonprofit where I've a part of relocation assistance that I've done with people is like, okay, like the nonprofit will pay for the plane ticket. And then what I do with the client or the survivor is creating the safety plan of like, okay, cool. Like as you walk out of the house, you're going to get in your car and you're going to drive to the airport. And as you're walking out of the house, the process server is going to walk up and knock on the door and serve your abuse, the divorce papers. But they wouldn't have been able to do that. So it's these little incremental things that show up. And I guess the one thing that I think Kim spoke to it because she specifically said it, but financial abuse isn't just a wealthy person or someone with more resources, keeping resources from a person and making them poor. It can also be being a drain on resources. So it can be, I worked a lot with Orthodox Jewish survivors and It's a very common myth that in Orthodox communities, like non-Orthodox people will look at Orthodox communities and say, well, it's super patriarchal, so therefore the woman stays at home and the husband's out of the house. That can be true. In my experience, it's usually not. It's usually the woman has like two master's degrees and does a ton of work and like also does a lot of the housework because the man studies Torah and you don't make money studying Torah. So I've seen that be lovely and healthy. However, that is a system that if you get an abusive person, it can be really manipulated. So you have these women who go to work and like work 40, 50 hours a week, and then they come home and then they have to do everything with the kids and all the cleaning and like everything. And they have no time. And then the husband is 
spending all this money or being a drain on resources and the person's so isolated that they're they don't have the mental capacity to realize that what they're experiencing is abuse or to the time to reach out for help. Yeah, that's a big part of it is making the other person so tired by spinning their wheels and making them so exhausted by all the things that are happening that they don't have time to consider what's real, what's acceptable. You know, I spoke with Kim a bit about the concept of, you know, noticing that if the person you're with the day before a big work assignment, they decide to start a fight at 1130 p.m., that is a form of coercive control or economic sabotage. And it can be financial abuse, like all of it. It And, and, emotion, and sleep deprivation is a form of emotional abuse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's usually the thing people forget. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that keeps you in such a state of confusion, but you would never think of it that way. I mean, look, I... It's hard because I think on the internet, we throw around the word abuser. So I worry about throwing around the word abuser because I feel like sometimes it's not specific enough. Like I would rather, you know, even hearing you say, well, the abuser, blah, blah, blah. Like it makes me bristle because I'm like, well, I would rather say the this person was controlling or this person did this or this person did that. And then I even, you know, I think you and I have spoken privately about this, like it's hard for the other person to not think that they contributed to it. Like my ex in college, one of my exes in college was physically abusive. And I, for a long time would say, well, no, but I would rile him up or like I would, I would poke the bear. And so I think like for a long time I was like, well, we were both toxic or whatever. And so I get very nervous about saying like these broad strokes, like, well, the abuser or the abuser does this, the abuser does that. I don't know if there's an answer to that question, but I'm trying very hard for to look into my experiences and say, okay, what exactly did this person do? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think there's an exact solution to that problem. I think the proliferation of like the word abuse or gaslighting or he's a narcissist or she's a narcissist on the internet, that is a byproduct of a good thing. And the good thing is the fact that people are talking about sexual assault more and intimate partner violence more and recognizing when a partner is asserting a rule and calling it a boundary. So the proliferation of those words and the overuse of those words, I think people should still be able to use the terms they want to use. So like if I was working with you as a survivor and I was the advocate, I wouldn't say you're abuser. I would, I would ask what you wanted me to call the person. But when I use the word abuser publicly on the internet, I almost always define it. And when a survivor is sharing their story on the internet publicly, I'd encourage them to define it in a way that's safe for them because you know you're the person who's doing harm to you. See, I almost said abuser. You know the person who's doing harm to you better than anyone. So you know what would make them escalate. So it's, I guess the solution is being specific about what you mean. So it's like, oh, this person's a narcissist. Like, I remember, like, I watched Vanderpump Rules and they were on Scandaval and they were like, Tom Sandoval's a narcissist. And I was like, well, I, I do agree with you as someone with background in mental health work. However, I can't diagnose someone. He has narcissistic tendencies. But I also, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're complaining about because that word is so broad. So it's being specific, I think, is part of it. Quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen, I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? 
Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. I was going to say also, it's like painting with this broad brush and it's like, what do I mean and what do I want? Like thinking to yourself as a survivor, what do you mean and what do you want? It doesn't help the person to gather everyone to to attack the other person. Like it doesn't help. None of that helps. So it's kind of like what, you know, I think it's been more beneficial to say, you know, this is, these are examples of things that happened. These are examples of, of things that were hard and inappropriate rather than just paint, just saying this person is X, Y, and Z because they're not. They're a full human being. They're a full person. They have, you know, a, a, a 3D personality. But these are some things that occurred. And then, of course, right, that's I, I think sometimes that that's the survivor being like, well, but I'm bad, too. When a survivor is in conversations with their loved ones, it's like, or let's say a survivor is dating a new person well after what they've experienced from their ex has ended. And they like want to share their story to get help or to give context. It's like, I had an abusive relationship that might be sufficient. And then like when the person earns their trust, they can share more. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the internet and you say someone is abusive, you're towing the line of defamation and it's really complicated. <laughs> like what Evan Rachel Wood did, like Marilyn Manson sued her and it got the, the lawsuit got thrown out, thankfully, because they said that Marilyn Manson does not have a standing against Evan Rachel Wood for her saying the things that he said and did. But well, that's the thing. I would rather say what exactly these things that happened. I would rather for me list out the things that have occurred and then, you know, go from there, I guess. Which is interesting because I'm an intimate partner violence survivor as well. And what has made me feel safe to say I'm an abuse survivor. A person abused me. 
and not saying the specifics because how I've healed is I used to like share all the details of it, but now it's more of, no, you don't get to know that. Like that's not your business. And I doesn't personally help me to repeat it, but that's what works for me. It sounds like what's working for you is saying like this thing and this thing and this thing. And it's about what empowers you. It means more to me to explain the specific because I don't know, maybe I don't believe myself. Who knows? But go into what we were talking about with with saying that rules are boundaries, which is one of my favorite favorite is in a dark way, twisted things. Well, first of all, real quick. Most survivors go through a period of not believing yourself and it's a lifelong ebb and flow. Like there's sometimes where I still don't believe myself. It gets easier as time goes on, but that's if someone is listening and they feel that way about something icky they had that happen to, that's probably an indicator that you are a survivor is if you don't believe yourself all the way. So the asserting a bound a rule, but then calling it a boundary. So it's, I actually, I did a really good topic with my co-host on my podcast where we talked about Jonah Hill and Sarah Brady. So there was this big controversy that Sarah Brady, who's Jonah Hill's ex-girlfriend, released texts that, I'm going to say this for legal reasons, allegedly were from Jonah Hill. And it was him saying, hey, it hurts me when you surf and post pictures on the internet. You surf with men. You hang out with people from like your wild recent past. I don't remember the wording, but it was him kind of weaponizing his maybe very real trauma to create rules for her and then clout using therapy language to call it a boundary of you need to change your behavior. So I avoid a feeling you need to change your behavior. So I don't have to think about my trauma. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that is not someone's job to protect your partner from experiencing a goddamn emotion. (laughs) That's part of being a human. (laughs) You go outside, you experience emotion. So when what makes it a rule instead of a boundary is that you're making, quote, boundary that saying that a person has to act a certain way or else they're going to get punished or there's going to be consequences and like that are related to coercive control. And so there can be healthy consequences for an action. Like if I, like when I was dating my ex-girlfriend, if I would have called her the C word, she would have broken up with right. me. That is a fair consequence. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, but it's not something where my behavior is controlled. So you talked about having a curfew mm-hmm. and you said it like, you talked about your curfew and sometimes you'd be late and then you'd have issues with being late to your curfew with like verbal consequences of that and things like that. And then you said a lot of people on the internet were like, why can't Gabe just meet the curfew? Mm -hmm. That's, it's not about that. It's like, you could be on time for the curfew and it's about control. So even if you were on time for the control, like the curfew, something else would be out of the person's control and you would get punished for a different reason, but related to that. Or another rule would pop up that you could potentially break so they would be in more control because it's a never ending thing of like the person who feels entitled to control someone like ever expanding the rules to have more and more control. Oh, damn. Woof. I haven't talked to you about that or told you anything privately about that, but you just knew immediately what the situation you, you just, you know, like that's well, you're good at your job. 
I listened to that and I was like, mm. interesting. You know, uh, like years ago, I listened to that when you were talking about it. And I was like, okay. A couple years ago. Yeah. And there's other things that we could talk about privately that I listened to a couple years ago. And I was like, okay. Mm. So you were saying that you took some notes during the Kim interview. And I was curious what you took notes on or what you thought you wanted to elaborate on. One of the questions you asked was, what are the social service resources that are available to people? Mm-hmm. And so it really depends on the state, but I'm going to talk about some of the things I've done with clients and seen done for clients because you don't, a survivor doesn't truly know what options are available to address the barriers that are keeping them in an abusive relationship until they kind of go to an advocate and learn what's in the community. And it's not the person's job to know everything that's available. Like, People get paid to do that for a living. So it's okay to ask for help. So some of the different things like relocation assistance, how it works in different states is different, but most states have a fund of this money for a survivor to access state funding to relocate to flee an abusive relationship. So paying for that plane ticket I mentioned, I garbled up the story, but that was a client that's relocation assistance story a first month's rent and a security deposit. That could be relocation assistance. When a survivor moves out of a house and there's an outstanding debt on the electricity at that old place, so when they move into a new place, everything's all good, but they don't have enough money to clear the debt on the electricity that will make it so they can turn the lights on in the new place. That's something that if you there is funding available in your community, you could go to an advocate and get that debt paid. I've worked with plenty of people to get gas cards. So whenever the client had the opportunity to get them and their children in the car and drive to another state, they have the gas money available. So those are some of those emergency financial assistance resources, but some of it also is the the legal assistance because legal abuse is so expensive. Like you've talked about that. Yeah, I, this is part of what caused me to become an abolitionist was just witnessing just one is like the legal system not working to help survivors or to help perpetrators change their behavior, but also the ways that the legal system can be weaponized to commit very long-term serious financial abuse, opening up lots of different legal arenas that are going to cost the survivor more money. So let's say a survivor has a civil protection order, which is a restraining order that you get through the civil court. If you have a a civil protection order, a CPO, something that the perpetrator could do, uh, someone who's enacting coercive control can do is just continuously violate the civil protection order all the time. So then every time you report it, if it results in a prosecutor prosecuting it, you have to take off work to testify. You lose money. That's a thing. And particularly for someone who maybe is experiencing poverty or is not financially secure. Like if you work at a fast food place or in the service industry, you don't show up, you don't get money. This is not a salary job. So it just takes up an enormous amount of time and it's controlling your time so that the abuser can see you all the time in court. So you have the option of I don't report the abuse or I do report the abuse and it might not actually result in any consequence. But if there's any chance of consequence, I have to go to court. Kim talked about kids in the legal system. Like I've had, like Kim gave this really good example of survivors giving up everything just so they can have custody of their kids in a way that 
the risk of the abuser harming the kids is reduced as much as possible. At the same time, I've worked with survivors who said, you know, like I have a young kid and the abuser is the way they are. They're not going to change. I'm in the specifics. Like I'm worried that they're going to commit different types of abuse to the kid, particularly if someone isn't supervising them. And so I'm going to make this divorce as long as humanly possible. And the reasoning is if like, let's say you have a temporary custody arrangement where like your kid has supervised visitation with the parent of concern. So in this case, the abusive parent, that's almost 100% going to go away once the divorce is finalized. I'm garbling up the information on purpose, but the, the idea was I'm going to make this divorce last a decade so that I can get as close to 18 as possible for when they're going to be unsupervised with their dad. To protect them. Yeah. And that one, that's not always possible, but that's just knowing that you're going to be in like a million dollars of debt. And I'm, that's, that's an actual number I've seen. I'm not exaggerating. So it's getting what should happen to happen in the legal system is really expensive. Yeah. You can also, anyone can bring a lawsuit at any time about anything. You can get inundated with lawsuits. You can get threatened with lawsuits. You can get, you know, told to to remove things, to take things down, or there'll be a lawsuit. You know, if someone has the money to continue legal proceedings or keep legal proceedings going in a way that even like one ends and they begin another one. Also, if the consequences for legal proceedings is a fine, if you're going up against a wealthy person who's committing coercive control, it's just like paying a bill to them. It's like getting a parking ticket. It's like, no, I can park here. I'll just get a parking ticket and I can afford the $40 parking ticket. So I'm just gonna leave my car here. But it's in legal money. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash badmoney. That's Chime.com slash badmoney. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. I mean, what I noticed, and we it, it's looping back, but there's a type of person who when they are having a feeling, it is someone else's fault. So instead of, so having a negative feeling anytime, instead of saying, what is this negative feeling? They look around and they say, who caused this? And then, and then someone caused it. And then that person must pay. And so, and it's completely justified. And so the discomfort which I've really had to learn how to sit with myself, that other, you know, perhaps someone like Tom Sandoval maybe doesn't, (laughs) is sort of using their resources, which is money, to avoid having to look inward in any way. Or, you know, so, or or the blame blame someone else for for their actions or how they were feeling. And if you didn't do this, I wouldn't act this way. If you didn't, if you didn't, if you met all of these criteria that I had, I wouldn't act this way. And so that continues even after the breakup with threats of legal proceedings or threats of, you know, if you just behaved, if you just did what I wanted, I wouldn't have to sue you. So that's a perfect case example of coercive control, because how I heard what you said was, There's a person who feels entitled to have control over other people. Mm -hmm. And if that's your baseline assumption, then any emotion you have is you are at the center and everyone around you, you are entitled to get them to do what you want. So you don't experience whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's not like wealthy abusers are very dangerous. Mm -hmm. That's why people don't come forward oftentimes against celebrities who commit rampant sexual abuse until there's a bunch of people. Like, look what happened to the 
survivors of Jeffrey Epstein until there was a ton right. of them or all of the victims of Marilyn Manson until there was a ton of them. It could be all these different things. Like it could be closing people off from their community mm-hmm. or like making someone homeless mm-hmm. or kicking someone out of their religious community was just the extension of that. But it's whatever toolbox and the t- whatever the tools are that the person who's committing coercive control has to make someone feel like their independence is an affront to the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just controlling. You can't, which is what differentiates like what I remember on the just between us podcast, Allison talked about, there's a difference between someone not having the emotional coping skills to address a problem and using violence or screaming situationally to stop versus that being a pattern of controlling other people. Yeah, I think it comes from fear. Yeah. But it's also, you know, I wanted to talk a bit about like the the initial red flags or things that people should be looking at because it's also hard in my with with exes in my experience I don't have a I don't have like a a framework or like a a relationship framework for how what it looks like to love someone so I'm very susceptible to well if you buy this for me that means you love me or if you go in with me on something, join our finances together, or, you know, that proves that you love me. And that's what a committed relationship is. And if you don't do that, you don't understand what being in a committed relationship is. You're not being an adult. You're not understanding what a committed relationship is. That's how you grow up. That's how you move forward. And so. Yeah. And when the person's not abusive, that's a great indicator. Of yeah. Commitment. But it's also. When it's healthy. If you don't do this, it means you don't love me. Yeah, that's not good. That's abuse. <laughs> so because I didn't, I so like, how do you know when it's someone trying to, like, it's hard to be like, I have someone trying to push you to be better versus someone trying to be like, now I've got you in my clutches. Yeah, it's complicated. So I'm going to give some like examples of red flags, but I give the caveat that you could look at all the red flags and this could still happen. Abusers are so smart and they don't usually realize what they're doing is wrong. They don't realize it. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, sometimes they'll realize that everyone's mad at them. But if, again, if your baseline is I'm entitled to control people, then it's like, well, the world's against me. Mm. It's like, okay. So even think about all these red flags or comment on the Instagram post that's going to go with this podcast and say, yeah, and this red flag Mm -hmm. and this red flag, this might still happen. And also, it's not your fault if you missed a red flag or didn't respond, quote, the right way to a red flag, because you can't always tell in the moment if it's a red flag or not. Mm -hmm. And if you respond to everything like it's a red flag, then we don't leave our house. Yeah. So I'm I'm still going to give the answer to your question, but all that caveat. So something like an abuser or a new partner wanting to move in really quickly like financial entanglement really quickly. That's something I see all of the time. Something where someone wants to take control with how the finances go very quickly, either to your, like, and how Kim said of like, I'll do it now. Or, well, you just do it because I don't want to have to worry about it. And then they're creating the opportunity to be able to accuse you later of stealing or hiding something because you're the one who dealt with all of it. If something's not up for discussion, 
So let's say like typically this is how we split paying for dates. And that's just maybe that's established because that's what happened on the first date and so therefore. But if you're not allowed to discuss it without the person acting in a way that makes you scared of bringing that discussion up, whether that be screaming or crying or bringing up their trauma so that you don't talk about it, that's a red flag. So I think it it's going back to is if you being independent in a way that differs from the person's definition of what appropriate independence is, if that's treated as a threat. And it's not a foolproof resource, but I'll send it to you so you can put it in the description, but the power and control wheel, which I talked about in the Just Between Us podcast, it's a model of a lot of different types of coercive control that someone can look at. But again, that's not foolproof. No, it's good. It's it's good to talk to you, but it is always I keep I don't know if this interview, it comes across maybe to the listener. I keep sort of leaving my body and returning to my body. (laughs) Yeah. So I I am listening and I'm also like very like scattered. We don't record video on this podcast, which is great because my eyes are bulging out of my head. I can tell I keep (laughs) saying things that trigger you. Yeah. Which I hope is validating. Yeah. I know it's horrifying and very vulnerable, but it's like, you're not wrong. And I want people listening to take this in because it's, and this is very important. There was a thing, anytime there's, okay, so there was a situation with an ex where we needed lawyers and they we used a lawyer that had a conflict of interest with me. And I said, you can't use this lawyer because legally it's not allowed. The, the laws of the state dictate that you cannot use this lawyer because we have a conflict of interest. I didn't make the laws. I have no control over the laws. These are the laws of the state. And their response was, how could you do this to me? And I think a very important thing for people listening to to understand is that it doesn't matter what you do or say. It doesn't matter like what it, it, it matters for you to look into what is happening in reality. What is the reality? You if it's like you are forcing me to get a new lawyer, you are bullying me into getting a new lawyer, but you know that the you've read the laws and you know that this is the laws of the state and not something that you're doing and this applies to anything you are living in reality you are and it's so easy to get twisted and and gaslit into thinking i'm the bad guy when any time and it's been this was so helpful to me and it sounds dumb but go and read the laws or go and look at the paperwork because the ways in which things are framed to you by someone who acts this way or feels this way will always make it your fault. But in, and in some situations, you you don't have access to paperwork or laws or bank statements or anything. So you don't have outside realities to grasp onto. Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Another example is with gaslighting in intimate partner violence. So gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse where a person who's asserting coercive control over another attempts to make the person systematically question their reality. The example I usually bring up is I work with a survivor and she, they were talking to the abuser and the abusive partner screamed and like slammed the door in the face. And then 10 minutes later, the survivor was like, you just slammed the door in my face. And the perpetrator was like, no, I didn't. And over time, you're like, well, did they slam the door? So when a way to safety plan for that is, one is the laws might not always be on your side. So that's a great safety plan if the laws are on your side, like checking back in the laws. But these other things of, I remember we emailed about this, like, and you talked about it really well too, is making an incident log. You talked about it on your interview with Kim, but this incident happened this day and this was the time and date and this is what happened and this is how I felt about it and these were the things I noticed. And then having it in a safe place, a private place that you just once, even if you feel really uncomfortable when someone says your relationship might be abusive, rape is a big word, abuse is a big word, violence is a big word. But if you're having that uncomfortable feeling where you're like, I'm not experiencing abuse, but like sometimes I want to call a DV hotline or I'm not experiencing abuse. But whenever I see that billboard, I'm like, hmm. or whenever I watch Big Little Lies where Nicole Kidman's being abused by her husband, which is a perfect example of what an advocate does. That counts that counselor in that TV series. That's what I did for work. That's what advocates do. But start in a private place that your abuser can't find. So maybe it's a notebook that you leave at a friend's house that's locked. Or if your abuser's not very tech savvy, like a like a private like Gmail account and like a Google Sheet or a Google Doc. Start writing down those things that you feel fall under a definition of coercive control and or try to connect with an advocate in your community. So that might be a hotline or it might be getting in front of someone who has expertise in coercive control because I have a different conversation with every single survivor. And usually I get something like, well, that's not abuse. Da, 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 da. And I was like, well, and I, did, I explain it. And the role of an advocate is 
the survivor is running around and they're bumping into walls because they're busy surviving coercive control. A good advocate helps pick the survivor up and get a bird's eye view. And then the survivor sees that they're running around a maze and there's, they start to see the patterns of the maze and a good advocate is like, okay, these are all the resources that might be available to you and you decide what to do because I was not the one running around in the maze. Oftentimes advocates have run around a maze. That's usually why they're good at their jobs. However, each maze is different. (laughs) So, and that shows is like all the different advice you got on your mailbag episode is like, don't sign it, sign it, da-da-da-da-da. It goes to show that safety planning is so specific. So we, you and I had a totally different conversation about that than I had with a different, what happened with a different survivor. Like there's plenty of survivors who, as a part of their safety plan, they sign NDAs. Like a lot of the survivors of Larry Nasser's abuse, the, the gymnastics, the gymnasts who were molested by Larry Nasser, a good chunk of them signed NDAs. And that might've been what was best for them. Maybe what was best for them was getting a financial settlement that they could use to go on with their lives and survive, to pay for therapy. Because experiencing abuse costs so much money. I really wish I could send my abuser a a bill for all of the therapy I've been to in the past decade. And I'm never going to recoup that. But it's because we live in a world where surviving costs money. When you experience things that make it harder to survive, it becomes more expensive. So therefore, one of the primary ways to prevent intimate partner violence, and in my field of work, specifically intimate partner violence homicide, is to end poverty. Poverty is a cause of gender-based violence. Yeah. So if I was a billionaire, what I would do was, I'm never going to be a billionaire because I did gender studies, but, and I'm a socialist, but if I was a billionaire, the thing I would, the first program I would fund would be housing voucher program where people who are fleeing abuse can get in contact with an advocate and get into like a two to three year long lease. That's totally a hundred percent paid for. That's amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. And that's just, that would be a piece of it because the survivors I'm working with or have worked with are the people that can, can give a phone call or can show up to an office. That's a tiny amount of the survivors. Like, what about all the survivors that have disabilities? Like, they're on dialysis and they're laying in their bed and they can't do a phone call. They're very elderly. So even if they could escape, they can't walk down the stairs of their house to flee. There's all of this silent abuse happening and the resources aren't there. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, most of the people on Reddit that I talk to are... are, most of the people on Reddit that I see in these groups that I'm in are it's it's almost entirely they'll write like a long thing. And then there's a financial component where they can't leave. They can't afford to leave. They don't know where they'd go. They have to live near their job. They What about their kids? Like almost always every story has a financial component. I think one of the biggest statistics or things that shocked me. So this is a study from the CDC. I apologize. I don't remember the date, but it used to be that. Like pre-2008, it took a cis woman who was fleeing an abusive relationship with a cis man an average of seven times of leaving and coming back before they're successfully able to leave an abusive relationship. After 2008, it 
in a statistically significant way, went up to 10. Wow. Because of the financial crisis. And there is data out there about how COVID has impacted this. Of course. And I haven't read it yet, but I know it's out there. It's it's a tab on my computer. But it's it's worse. As a social worker, as an intimate partner violence advocate during Mm -hmm. COVID, like COVID's still happening, but during the quarantine, it was so much worse. I saw people sheltering in place with their abusers. And I think a lot of abusers thrived during that time because the person was in gun sales went up and also the the person was entirely at their mercy. You could manipulate laws in a way that manipulate you could manipulatively interpret laws in a way that serves you being coercively controlling. There was such a wild thing that I watched happen too, where people that I knew that had partners that were controlling would latch onto COVID as like a moral like thing where they'd be like, well, you shouldn't go see your friends because you're going to kill grandma. And like, I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is a, this is exactly what they've wanted to happen, which is a weird thing to talk about and say. And I haven't really seen that people, that many people talk about it, but I'm like, oh, this was a gift. COVID was a gift to abusers. Yes, it really was. That's why kind of whenever there's a global crisis happening, the rates of rape and intimate partner violence and rape is a form of intimate partner violence but rape largely it skyrockets so in times of war all those things increase so i talked about on just between us the there's this myth that muslim men are more likely to commit abuse that's not true usually people are purpose xenophobically misinterpreting the statistic of muslim people who live in countries that are ruled by by an authoritarian ruler there are higher rates of intimate partner violence. That's not because of Islam. That's because the, the government, it makes it easier for abusers to harm people because there's more opportunities of oppression to weaponize. Any country that's going through that sort of trauma, not just Muslim countries, but any country that's going through that trauma, everyone's traumatized. Whose fault is that? Probably the U.S. government. I hope that this this episode makes any sense at all to, on my end, not on yours. You're wonderful. Well, I feel like I could ask you a hundred million more questions, but let's see how this one turns out. Where can people find you and more about you? Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. I'll plug my podcast. I started a feminist podcast. It's called Fumbling Towards Feminism, like fumbling, like fumbling a football. <laughs> and it's all one word, fumbling towards feminism. But we talk about Well, I'm a co-host of it. So we talk about gender-based violence all the time. So it's my favorite thing to talk about. But we also talk about a bunch of different other feminist issues and feminist fun. So I'd encourage you to find me there. Thank you. And you can send us DMs. Thank you. Haley's incredibly helpful. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.